0: Alright folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 201 today. Uh, We're going to be discussing the book Ghosts of Atlantis with the author uh, Douglas Kenyon. Um, Douglas is uh, the author, as I mentioned, of this new book. He is also the publisher and editor of Atlantis Rising Magazine, um, and he is also the editor of Forbidden History. So you can go check out all those I will put the links down below the video if you're interested in the book I have the link to inner traditions uh, website down below so you can pick up a copy Uh, I have my copy right here and I really enjoyed it so thank you for that before we get started if everybody can head on over to our patreon at patreon.com slash podcast for just $2 a month you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Uh, I don't know, maybe we can get uh, Douglas to do one with us here at the end for a few minutes. And um, But yeah, if you're interested, tons of stuff on there. There's a whole catalog of other stuff that's not available on YouTube or any of our audio platforms, so go check that out. And one more thing, head on over to indrasweb.org. That is the social media platform that we created to connect open minds. So whether you're hypothesizing, theorizing, speculating, whatever, on all these uh, interesting topics, whether it be ancient civilizations or ancient knowledge uh you name it that's the perfect place to do it so head on over there and sign up for an account but without further ado welcome on mind escape douglas
1: well thank you very much happy to be here
0: uh so yeah so i read your book ghosts of atlantis and um, really enjoyed it um there's a lot of stuff in there obviously it's a pretty thick book um you kind of go through the whole range of things from Plato stuff to some of the more out there theories and is this like a culmination of everything you were doing with the Atlantis rising magazine is this kind of like your curated knowledge all put together
1: well I think you could say that fairly I I wouldn't argue with that Uh, I you know when you end up after 25 years of uh, collecting a lot of material on on the hard drive and you're looking for a way to uh, get it out there. However, you know, I would say that we were careful throughout to maintain a certain standard in terms of the uh, evidence, in terms of the objectivity of the material we were looking at, and we were consistent on that score. So I thought that by assembling all of that in one place uh, would be, I didn't think anybody had done that previously. I mean, there's certainly been a lot of good research on Atlantis from a lot of people, but um, they're not up to date in my view. And, well, frankly, a lot of people have done a lot since we were there. Hmm. But uh, at any rate, I think when you put it all together, if you have a point of view and you have a kind of a a structure that you can maintain, uh, and I think of like a pyramid, (laughs) it is like a... uh, it is like a capstone type of uh, type of event, and it kind sort of sums it up.
0: Absolutely, so, um, and like one of the you know the main themes is obviously this idea of um, our lost or you know our lost history, or we're a species with amnesia. You know, I know that's pretty prevalent within Graham Hancock's stuff as well. Um, so, why don't you talk a little bit about that, and then we'll get into like you know. Where Atlantis, the idea of Atlantis, comes from.
1: Well, really, that's the theme that got me going way back in the beginning with the realization that there had been episodes in history that had come and gone, and there was virtually no record of them. And yet, if you could look at things with a certain objectivity, you could sense they were there, they were present. And uh, so I wanted to talk about that and I wanted to express that the idea of amnesia really kind of crystallized for me around, um, Emmanuel Velikovsky's book, Earth and Amnesia, uh, which was really kind of a summary of things that he had done up to that point. And, but he was a psychiatrist and he was looking at, uh, the idea that, uh, in fact, the way he put it was that the the psychological condition in case history of planet earth is one of amnesia. And, uh, and then subsequently, of course, a lot of people like Graham Hancock and a lot of others have picked up on the idea because there really isn't anything that, that describes better uh, the condition that we're in. And there are all kinds of um, consequences, hmm. ramifications for this condition that are seldom taken into account. Um, I think the reason people have difficulty emotionally with approaching this subject is a product of amnesia and, and the effect that it has on us, the scarring that we've undergone.
0: Yeah, and um, I think he's probably most known for worlds uh, in collision. That's what most people usually point to. But um, in terms
1: of... He's the father of catastrophism. Yeah. The the, Um, the idea that uh, we've been punctuated, history has been punctuated by these events that really account for all the kinds of things that we see.
0: So when you look at this, was so the Younger Dryas impact hypothesis, is that... When that came into the, you know, the I don't even know if it's even really mainstream yet, but it's been, you know, it's been on Joe Rogan. You have Randall Carlson, Graham Hancock talking about these things, Uh, and actually a lot of people uh, enjoying that topic. Um, Is that something that you felt like then validated this idea because it shows maybe there was, you know, uh, not even just more of like a, a global community or something, or people were getting around a lot more back in the day. And then this big, you know, comet or, you know, piece of a comet hits and kind of wipes everything out. And, you know, around the time, right after that, you have Gobekli Tepe and all these uh, interesting things popping up. So um, was was that kind of like validating to you for a lot of the, these theories and hypotheses?
1: Yeah, it was. I, I thought that uh, when... You know, there's been a lot of really significant research on the whole Younger Dryas hypothesis. And probably the most important was that big discovery that they made in Greenland about four years ago, where they discovered that there's a huge impact crater underneath the glaciers there. Because up till then, people had said, and this is looking at the idea that earth was hit by an object of some kind and that's not the only viable approach this Robert Schock, for example says it was a solar outburst mm-hmm. but but at any rate <clears throat> and there's plenty of evidence <clears throat> people have looked at the idea that earth got hit by some kind of object from space and but the uh, criticism of that was that well if there was such an object where's the crater where's the uh, and there should be such a crater. And for a long time, uh, 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 there wasn't any uh, uh, crater that was sufficient to account for this. And then uh, they d- made this uh, uh, i I would cite you chapter and verse on this, but it's the the big um, uh, discovery in in Greenland specifically of this giant crater about uh, several miles across. Uh, that could account for a lot of, a lot of this and probably had a lot to do with the, um, and there are others, there are other examples, there, Mm -hmm. there's, there are other events that all apparently occurred about the same time. And if there was a crater, it probably was, it probably was not just one object. It was probably a whole series of objects that basically left their, uh, their prints, uh, and that's one of the things that we talk about in the book under the heading of the carolina bays mm. uh and there are, but there are other uh i keep every one of these that i bring up i know it's not the only one uh that uh, that carries that makes the point
0: yeah there's definitely some debate too cuz i know mainstream academics would point to the fact that they haven't been able to get a dating on that impact that's under the ice sheet in greenland yet so there's really no way to for sure point to a timeline, if is that correct?
1: Well, some may say that, but I, I'm, I frankly think the evidence is pretty strong that it was about, uh, it, it, was, it was certainly in that range of dates that we're talking about, a little over 12,000 years ago, and it corresponds with the Plato uh, sinking of Atlantis and Gobekli Tepe and, and other sites that uh, can be all tied to this one event uh, there, was one, there was one very interesting study that was done by uh, a Scottish group, but they were talking about evidence that they found or that they were able to deduce from looking at some cave paintings uh, and, and and elsewhere showing that uh, there was knowledge of the procession of equinoxes going back to this date and earlier. Now, the procession of the equinoxes, of course, is is... That's the big clock in the sky, so yeah. to speak that basically uh, uh, breaks down the whole series of of um of um, events that we're looking at and uh, give us the scenario for a tragic history and of course, this was looked at by um in the sixties by um uh the, uh, Von Duskin and his, um, uh, I forget the, his partner at the at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I, I'm talking about Hamlet's Mill,
2: hmm.
1: which is, yeah. which is the, uh, uh, basically describing
0: Giorgio de Santillana.
1: Yeah. Exactly. There you go. And, uh, if you'll, you guys aren't Having senior moments that much, <laughs> probably I'm sure. <laughs> but I hope you'll, I hope you'll overlook some of well, my. We have
0: brain farts too. I had a couple last night.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, if if you look at the um, the unfolding of events in uh, the const- in the way the constellations move, the way the stars move, and so forth, and all of the the tales that are attached to that, you start to see. Uh, the story uh, becomes, you know, pretty clear that uh, we've we've had this history that can be uh, a story can be told. That and this is really kind of in a it, it, that's the final chapter in the book. And but I think it corresponds to uh, uh, the narrative that we're getting across that uh, we're we have this uh, history on Earth that uh, can't really be understood unless you can incorporate the kind of the tragic dimension into it. And you have to, and I think you have to make it a ghost story because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think of uh, the story of the of what we're, if you look at a haunted house, you know, you're, you're looking about, you know, you could say, uh, superstition aside or any of that, but just the idea that you have, uh, individuals who had uh, dramatically traumatic experiences, and they're basically trapped in this, um, uh, I want to use the word matrix, or they're trapped in the, in the situation of a particular place or time, and uh, they're looking to be free or to escape from it, and they torment those who are present around them. And so that's kind of the, the archetype that i that i'm trying to get across you yeah uh, it's another, almost
0: like uh rupert Sheldrick's morphic resonance or something like that
1: well i think you can see it in those terms and i, I think that um uh, uh you know in in hamlet uh, you have the uh hamlet is haunted by the ghost of his father who is uh who is who is who's who was murdered? And here, Hamlet is surrounded by essentially those who murdered his father. And his father comes to him as a ghost and basically uh, is is asking for to be uh, to be avenged. <laughs> he wants to. He has this uh, this demand that he's making uh, on the living. And I think that uh, uh, you can look at that as to, I'm not trying to say these things are are real, right? in any objective way. But they are certainly real psychologically, and they are real in terms of our, uh, the inner process that uh, we go through as souls, uh, as as individuals who are basically uh, climbing the mountain and working our way back to what it ever, whatever it was that we left behind.
2: Hmm.
0: Absolutely. Uh, to go back to just to point out to people don't know what precession is. We've talked about it a lot in the past, but it's also known as Plato's Great Year. It's the cycle of the stars. So, like the constellations are not stationary; they move. I think it's one degree every seventy-two years um, in the sky, and a full cycle is about twenty-five thousand eight hundred years, roughly. Um, so this it,
1: is because there's a uh, there's a wobble in right. the Earth. Though there is another possible explanation, but but basically it's, it 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 uh, it traces the 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 pole North Pole uh, traces a giant circle in the zodiac around the zodiac, and uh, it it and so the the constellation that is the, the rising constellation in the, in uh, in Aries or at the spring at the spring equinox uh, appears to move backwards through the Zodiac. Uh, and so you go from uh, over, t- in 2,000 years, it moves from one um, uh, constell- one zodiacal constell- constellation to the next. Mm. And, uh, and you can, and that is the most, you know, the, the biggest, most profound um, historical cycle that you can look at in our culture. Mm. Uh, though there are other cultures who actually can look at even larger cycles and uh like uh in uh in uh india in
0: yeah in... and actually uh i mean it's i think it's probably been known even before that, but I know it's been credited uh, Hipparchus, uh um, right. in ancient Greece you know using all the geometry and stuff uh back then they were able to figure it out and uh, if you look at even that it 's amazing in itself just using geometry and uh natural physics and stuff that they had at the time
1: and you have to ask yourself the question uh given the fact that the movement that you are charting here in the stars is very very subtle it takes uh you know if it takes two thousand years to move from one house to the next what kind of civilization would it take To be able to discipline itself to keep records that would basically could could um, could describe something like that could say this is what's going on, this is uh, you know and uh, and this is what we can expect for that reason, and the the evidence that uh, the the mastery that would be required in terms of a of a of an organized society to be able just to keep the records that it would take to be able to express this, uh, frankly, I think is great great evidence for that's a, that's the a great advancement, point. advancement of ancient civilization. Hipparchus uh, was like, what, about uh, 500 uh, BC or what have you? And yet it, there's plenty of evidence that they knew about it long before that. I mean, there's right. plenty of evidence the Egyptians knew about it and uh certainly many other cultures uh knew about it and um and uh, there's some really interesting uh, studies on that score and i alluded to one of them earlier but you have to read the book (laughs) i think yeah
0: he was 150 bc if i'm not mistaken but he um but to your point that's actually a good point because a lifetime back then life spans were a lot shorter obviously for different reasons but um to move one degree in 72 years, I think you'd be lucky to make it 72 years back then. Um, so to know that that only moved one degree in just one person's lifetime, like you said, you would have to keep uh pretty intricate records and have a, a, like a, an ongoing system in place to, to figure that out
1: for thousands of years. right? <laughs>
0: no, I, I'm right there with you. That's, that's the fascinating thing to me. So let's get to how we know what we know about Atlantis, which is, uh, to my understanding, everything that I've looked into, and I've read Plato's dialogues a bunch in the uh, the Critias and the Timaeus, there's the two that it's featured in, um, but um, I've read most of his other dialogues too, because I try and balance the approach. I know there's some days where I'm like, is it actually Atlantis or is this just some older civilization that we call Atlantis? And I kind of go back and forth with that uh, myself. I, it's not that I don't believe in it, it's just I think if you're being objective, you kind of have to to do that once in a while. Um, yeah, hey,
1: I'm okay. I'm okay with it not with I'm not trying to I mean we use the word Atlantis and I by Atlantis I'm talking a kind of an archetype. Right. Right. But it could very easily I'm not saying it's that's it's a, I'm not trying to identify it as a specific uh, civilization at a specific time and say like a nation or Right. anything like that. Yeah, this I agree archetype. I agree with that. Uh, I def- a lot
0: of stuff built around the word Atlantis too you know you gotta yeah and you know when you say that in front of academics too they're like oh they think that you're talking about like flying machines and all sorts of crazy technology that we didn't we don't even have now you know so um but I definitely um I definitely have looked into it heavily and like I said the the Critias and the Timaeus are featured there but the story goes as I understand it that um Solon Uh, went to Egypt and, uh, I think Sais, Egypt and received this knowledge from an Egyptian priest named Sankas or Sakis, something like that. Um, and then brought it back and then, uh, passed it down three generations to Plato. And there's some debate whether he was a relative of Plato or if it was a family friend on his mother's side. I think that goes back and forth with that too. Uh, but either way it was passed down three generations to Plato um, and then Plato gives us the the dating, of, which would have been 9600 9, B.C., which actually coincides exactly with the dating of Gobekli Tepe. And I'm not making that necessarily... And the connect, younger Dryas. The younger Dryas. I'm not necessarily yeah. making that connection, but I think w- when you look at this the way that, like I, again, I, I, I look at what academics have to say, and they're pretty against the idea of Atlantis obviously being a real or an older civilization like that. Uh, but at the same time, I think you have to look at it as a possibility that they knew about these catastrophes and they built mythologies around them. And we all know about oral traditions and how they're pretty actually reliable when you look at the aboriginal uh, oral traditions and some of the other ones found around the world that they've been able to preserve some of these these myths. And um, so, they're, they're, again, I think that there's something to all this. I definitely think that there was an older civilization that might have gotten wiped out. I'm not saying they were more advanced or whatever, anything like that. Uh, But this idea that there was something happening back then and people were getting around a lot more and then that was preserved and, you know, passed down, I think that that's a definite possibility, absolutely.
1: Yeah, well, I think that you get to the reason for the book because there is a, like, you have to look at Atlantis as a kind of a presence, you know, as a... Uh, or as uh, what uh, Joseph Campbell would have called a myth, hmm. uh, and it, a myth doesn't mean it's not true, or it certainly doesn't mean that it's not true uh, spiritually speaking. Uh, it's it's it has meaning. There's and it's something that we share, uh, and it affects all of us. And uh, you have to if you can look at everything that's going on in terms of our own civilization today, and you look at um, things that and the kind of the drama that we've gone through for thousands of years, you can see, you can detect the presence there, like an overshadowing presence that is basically kind of directing, you can see it's taking things in a particular direction. Uh, I think that in drama, there is this factor that you have to take into account that certainly the Greeks knew about when they uh, devised their own uh, theater and an initiatory scheme, is that they're talking about uh, the the way that the soul uh, is basically, um, learns about about, uh, various conflicts and so forth that it faces and uh, there is a there's a process that we go through and wake working our way out of this. And uh, Aristotle, for one, wrote about this is the these are essentially like laws of theater, laws of drama, and they're basically uh, this is uh, it's been described as uh, metamorphosis, mm-hmm. or the the change that the soul is trying to go through in terms of uh, addressing uh, the circumstances in which it finds itself. And uh, there's certain patterns that, that occur over and over again. And the reason these things happen is uh, in this r- regular recurring way is this is something that we have to confront. It's something we have to we have to address, take it in, and we have to learn the meaning, learn its meaning. Uh, before we can ever be free, mm. and uh, which is the objective here?
0: Yeah, to your point about myths, though. I, I mean, I agree because even to this day, we, we're creating mythologies every day. We create mythologies because we're relying on our flawed memories. We're relying on our perspective, which could differ, you know, dramatically to the next person. um So we're creating these stories. We're creating these mythologies on a daily basis. Um, so I don't think that that's you know we learn mythologies in school or it's like oh the greek gods or this or that and you just assume that it's this fake thing but there's a reason why those things were created there's a reason why those stories were told and it meant something to the people at the time um where now you look at like what's going on with like ufos and uaps and everything that's in the news and uh we're creating mythologies around that i'm not saying that there's obviously not real things in the sky or anything but we're putting narratives to it. That's what we do as as a right. as, as species. We just put narratives around things and then live the, and play those things out like a story or like you're saying, like a drama.
1: That's right. And, uh, you know, if you really want to understand what we're going through and you want to address it, you have to look at it from that perspective. You know, if you just uh, try to treat it as a kind of like uh, objective um, scientific exercise and uh, say... Uh, or a or a, or a debate uh, based upon uh, hard evidence, hmm. then you're going to miss the point. However, I do think it's worth remembering, and one of the things we try to do, and there is a lot of hard evidence. But one of the reasons that hard evidence doesn't get properly considered is because of all the weight of the mythologies that uh, that are have been created where people have a vested interest in that. Uh, You know they're they're trying to uh, people fashion narrations that where they like the outcome, right? (laughs) Where they're trying they're trying to basically make it work out uh, in a way that makes sense to them. It may not actually make sense if you if you can look at it with, with real objectivity. But that's motivating people, and you have to discount a lot of what people say for this reason. But the process that's going on is real and that is something that we're all involved in whether we like it or not and i think atlantis is as good a name as you can have for the overall scheme of things
0: right and that's and that was another reason why i liked your book too is like you mentioned you weren't really assigning atlantis and you have all this physical evidence for exactly what atlantis was and it's this more it's more of like an archetypal type thing in, in applying it to a you know previous civilizations and what they went through at the end of the, you know, the, uh, then last ice age and the transitions, whether they happened dramatically fast or even slower than we imagined. Um, I think that that would be traumatic in a lot of ways the, 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 the everything's shifting and, you know, it's new to a lot of people and they have to figure out new ways of life and new patterns and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it definitely had, has had an effect on us. um, when you look at like like we mentioned the impact hypothesis and you mentioned Robert Schock's uh, coronal mass ejection, um, do you put weight into more one one more than the other or I guess I know when we had Randall Carlson on, we also talked about volcanism and we did a few episodes on super volcanoes and if you look at, you know, what Lake Lake Toba, that eruption, um, and some of even the more recent eruptions, not even that long ago, had um had a huge impact and, and would raise or lower the temperature 10, 15 degrees, which would have a massive impact. And even the Lake Toba thing, I think they said after the Lake Toba eruption, there was a, a bottleneck where only 10,000 people or 5,000 people survived that.
1: I don't know that particular story, but, uh, and as far as which uh, scenario I give the most weight to, I, I don't, I'm trying not to... Have a dog in this fight. Uh, I definitely respect Robert Shock, and Robert Schock has been one of our, one of our, um, uh, was one of our biggest, most consistent supporters over the years. Wrote many articles for us on many subjects, and if he says there's science there, I basically respect it. I've always thought that the impact uh, that uh, personally, I feel like the uh, a bolide is that's the direction that I lean in, but I'm not uh, disregarding what uh, what Robert is saying by any means. And I do think that uh, uh, there's certainly, in in either case, the aftermath was, was very similar. Mm. And you have basically civilization struggling to survive in the wake of something that was really terrible. And uh, I think if you look at like uh, the the underground uh, uh, passageways and caves in Turkey, for example, and a lot of those places, yeah, um, Darren Kuyu, yeah, Darren Kuyu, and and others uh, are basically tell you, and, and nobody can date those things. They they all try to. The conventional wisdom is they they try to say, well, it must have been done by the Romans, or that's uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's absurd. Yeah, but they 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 were who whoever came along along with the Romans undoubtedly used what they found in terms of those existing caves. But those those that those underground structures and all the 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 multi levels and and the rooms and uh, the capability of looking after livestock and all of that that was this was immense uh, and. Uh, I know uh, Robert wrote a lot about that for us uh, in terms of the of the significance of that. And there's, I mean, here you're talking about OOParts, <laughs> you know that that term, the out of place artifacts, OOP, yeah. where things uh, where conventional wisdom simply cannot account for the existence of something that we know is so, and the result is that that the mainstream basically tries to pretend trust tries to ignore it because they really can't confront it directly. And-
0: yeah, I mean you have a lot of stories too that back you know, you have uh the epic epic of Gilgamesh, you've got Noah's Ark, you've got Yima and Navara. you've got I mean, it just the list goes on and on. Yeah. You can go through most cultures and find some sort of catastrophe myth or a uh, great flood myth, or you know, there's it just goes on and on. You know, like I said, I think most cultures or ancient cultures have one.
1: Absolutely, and uh, of course, this is all essentially the catastrophist argument, and the mainstream tries to convince us that history uh, evolved. Natural history is uniformitarian. Right. That's what, what happens, uh, what we see going on right now in terms of the pace of events, this was something that uh, uh, we, this is the way mountains were, were raised. It was a process that took, and the only way we can, the, to cover the time that it would have required, we have to create these vast cycles of, you know, of, of long, extremely excruciating, long periods of time. And even then it doesn't really work. But the thing that really does work is the fact that things, that there were immense uh, catastrophes that interrupted uh, life on Earth. And this is how we came to get amnesia, because the interruptions were so uh, catastrophic that uh, we simply couldn't deal with them without... uh, Without having to take extraordinary means and to creating a uh, uh, a society which could uh, enforce the kind of forgetfulness that we all insisted on.
0: Why do you think that the mainstream doesn't believe in, in all this, you know, kind of stuff? Like in the sense that they're pretty against the Younger Dryas impact hypothesis. They're pretty against the coronal mass ejection and a lot of the other theories. Even supervolcanoes are like, yeah, don't worry about, you know, like stuff like that. So it's like, why do you think they do that, given the fact that these things have happened many, many, many times throughout Earth's history? And we have the records, the geological records of these things.
1: It's very threatening. You know, it's very, and that's, that's again, part of our point is that, uh, is that there is a component uh, in all of this in terms of a, a defensive component. And they're basically defending their own position, their mm-hmm. own, their own um, uh, power structure. And they're basically, uh, they don't want to embrace within that things that would sh- cause the whole enterprise to be easily upset. They want to believe that it was, they want to believe that life on earth has been relatively stable. And for it to not be stable, is the alternative is it stable or it isn't. And if it's not and you start to think through what that means, it's a big deal. Uh, and, and it's, it's one thing to kind of talk about it casually. Uh, but it's another thing to actually, you know, embrace what it really, really means. Right. And it, it's scary. It gets to be very, very scary.
2: So well, it's in- more than just rewriting the school books.
1: Oh, yeah, they've got to do a lot you know the school books are written the way they are to preserve their narrative, which right. is basically keeps everything uh keeps everything predictable and 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 under control.
0: The other thing is is we have we've dedicated parts of um different astronomy departments, and you know we have prof- professionals looking for near earth objects we have professionals looking for unique things that could be approaching earth. I think just something just passed by a couple of days ago. That was the size of the Eiffel tower that just passed by earth. So it's like, we know these things happen. We know, um, in the past that they've definitely hit, you know, um, I don't know if you've seen that documentary, um, uh, fireball visitors from another, uh, world, uh, which is a, um, Werner Herzog documentary. But if I, I, you should definitely watch it if you haven't already. Um, cause it talks all about like, meteorites and it goes through all a lot of like the ancient aboriginal mythology surrounding these things. And like the spiritual context of people have been looking at the sky forever and looking out for these kinds of meteorites and meteors and asteroids and all that kind of stuff.
1: I know Herzog, uh, I, I didn't see the one you're talking about, but I have, uh, I, uh, he did another one that was very interesting back in the sixties about uh, basically uh following, uh, the production of an opera in the, in the Amazon in the area there. And they, I've uh, forgotten what it, uh, the name of it, but the, but he's definitely someone who is, uh, who's recognized what we're talking about. Mm. Uh, and the, the, therefore the, uh, the subtext that is beneath the, that beneath the surface of a lot of, uh, of, uh narratives that uh, the culture embraces and how they're really set up or they're programmed in a certain way to protect certain interests and to keep everybody in, in step and but because there's this off-kilter nature of it, you know to, to be able to preserve that disequ- disequilibrium, you end up with a, with a, a flawed uh, crippled, structure and um and that's where we find ourselves
2: Hmm. i think that movie is called burden of dreams
1: yes yes
0: um so when you look at um you know you you doing the atlantis rising magazine uh for a while and talking to all these researchers and everything and um You know, all the researchers that you featured and you talk about in your book and in the magazine and stuff all kind of have a similar idea of this thing. And it's considered alternative, but, um, you know, there's a lot of science behind it, too. Like you mentioned Robert Schock and this guy's a geologist and even his dating, redating of the Sphinx. And, you know, even mainstream has a huge issue with that. Um, Now, when you look at that kind of stuff is there, do you ever get like a lot of pushback or do you ever get any like negativity from that? Or is that something that, you know, just kind of, you know, people are interested in that kind of stuff or they're not?
1: Oh, you mean within my own mind? (laughs) Well, I just
0: mean like, uh, I mean like, do you ever have like academics like reach out to you saying this is wrong or anything like that? Or like I said, is it just kind of...
1: I didn't, but you know, I have my theories about that too because I think that their policy toward uh, stuff like uh, I'm promoting is basically to ignore it. Mm. Because I think there's a general, uh, I mean, frankly, to in, from my point of view, I would say, well, sure, they ignore it because uh, to do otherwise is at their own peril. Right. And basically they want to, uh, they don't want to challenge the system that gives them all the benefits. And they, <laughs> they don't want to, uh, I mean, it's, it sounds like a very simple idea, and I guess people are uh, there's a lot of nuance to it. It, it, as you look at it in in more detail. But I think it really does boil down to to uh, people are basically defending their turf right in, in one way or another. And um, uh, and of course, when it comes to academics, they're they're defending a position because they they are invested in it in terms of their entire career. And uh, and even things that they weren't personally involved in, uh, that were just kind of developments over, say, twenty or thirty years, uh, they're nevertheless they do um, identify with the with the outcome, and they're it's like a, John Anthony West used to talk about how they they're cheering for their team, right, <laughs> and and they want to be right. And they want to get, to get the prize that goes with with being right, but they're but they're definitely um, willing to. It, you can it's clear to people like like us that they're cheating, but right. they don't they don't they would they would say not so. But
0: right, I would point out too that. Um... The reason why I actually brought that up is there was they were promoting. I don't know. There's some new show. I don't know if it's on Discovery Channel or History or one of these channels, uh, where there's this woman who's a volcanologist, and then this other guy uh, came up with this show, and they're going to go look for Atlantis based on volcanic activity and this kind of stuff. Um, and they when they posted it on on Twitter it was just amazing at all the academics that just jumped on it. They're like this person, this is terrible for archaeology. This is terrible for, you know, this and that and the other, um, this is the worst thing. And then they went through, you know, why, you know, like I, like I mentioned before, though, I will, I will say that from reading the dialogues and understanding how Plato used allegories, whether it's the allegory of the cave, or if you want to say Atlantis was an allegory of a real civilization from a long time ago or whatever you want to say. Um, I, I could see their point because there are things that do point to it being not necessarily a physical place or some global advanced civilization. Like I could, I could understand that aspect of it, but they're so aggressive about it and they're so not open-minded about the fact that there was Potentially older civilizations that had been wiped out or had amnesia or whatever this this other they that they immediately point to like what you were saying before they want physical proof of a physical place that correlates exactly to what was written down or else it's not real, and I don't think that that's how you can approach this, and that 's again why I appreciated your book because that 's not how you really approached it either um, but I mean, what do you think about that though
1: well, I think that they're <laughs> they're They're not playing fair, and they're they're making demands that are not uh, uh, for how the process is going to be played out that basically is uh, essentially stacking the deck
2: hmm.
1: from their to their advantage. And they're not really looking at it objectively. And I think that it's it becomes very clear that they're not being objective because you can. You can see that they haven't been. Uh, uh, they're not. They're not sticking to their own rules, and uh, they violate their own rules. And basically, you can tell that they're when it comes to keeping their opposition at bay, keeping them down. They're willing to. It, there is no. There's no limit to what mm. they would do to to enforce this. This is. That's my subjective opinion. <laughs> yeah. What's uh, What's going on?
0: If If you did have to, you know, put a physical location based on everything you've researched, like let's say you had to pick a place, if if you thought Atlantis was a real physical place, where would you have put it? Like, or where would you have thought it was?
1: Well, I I, I tend to I don't identify it with a particular place because right. I tend to think of it more as. I think the real case is to be made for some kind of worldwide order that existed, that basically, uh, and that there were players involved in this drama all over the world. After all, the ocean was, you know, hundreds of meters below where it is now. And so you're talking about vast coastal areas uh, and um, that are, that were part of this, this regime, or part of this, and I don't, I think it was probably benign and loosely structured, and not, uh, uh, if, I guess, if you look at the, the, the story from the priesthood size, you get probably uh, what appears to me to be a pretty, uh, one particular scenario of how that order might have unfolded, because they talk, they have a very political type of story in there, where they're talking about the the ten tribes of, of Atlantis and uh, how they warred against each other, and uh, and then the war with Greece and so forth, all of which uh, appears to have a have a political dimension. Uh,
0: well, that's one of the things that that's pointed to too is why it's not a real. It was an allegory, is because Athens is in there, and how did Athens? How was it around that long, like ninety six hundred you know like yeah there's
1: parts of it there are parts of it that are hard to uh hard to uh explain in terms of uh specific events, but I think when it comes to atlantis itself and the surroundings of atlantis, he was pretty darn specific right and had a lot of detail and a lot of uh, a lot of very uh extraordinary facts that he was very precise about
0: right um yeah. And also, I mean, we've talked about when we had Randall Carlson on, and I know we've come to this conclusion a long time ago. When I when I did think it was a physical place, I put it either at the Azores or near the Azores. There's a convergence of three plates, you know, plate tectonics there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were looking for some sort of, you know, event that happened that might be at the center there. And uh, they have a mythology, I think, on the Azores, too, of how at one point it was a lot, you know, the the basic level of the islands now used to be tall mountain peaks and you know there used to be a whole other structure of land there and stuff like that too
1: well i'm okay with that and it's like if the certainly if you're looking for the closest uh, connecting story to the physical description that plato gave i think you that to me the azores makes a lot of sense canary islands all of that the uh and I don't, and I think there's certainly a lot of evidence indicating something that, uh, uh, um, uh, kind of, the vector of civilization traveling from from uh, the uh, the Atlantic into into the European continent and so forth during right. the during the time of the uh, ice ages uh, and something like that. It, I have no problem with that. I'm I'm open to it. How better, however. I think in the Bahamas and in uh, uh, the Caribbean and so forth, you have a lot of very, very interesting uh, 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 dates as well that kind of corroborate like the Edgar Cayce uh, 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 description of things. And so I think probably probably both had part of it. And um, uh, and I think there are others. I mean, look at India. And, uh, and, uh, the, uh, Gulf of Campe and, and Dwarka and all that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We actually, when we had Dr. Gregory Little on, he shared some of his underwater photography from when him and his wife were down there taking the pictures. Bimini? Yeah. Bimini road. And, um, you know, those structures. And I know the mainstream will say, Oh, that's just natural erosion, you know, but there's some things there that, oh, yeah, they're not, and then there's, that other, there's those other structures near Cuba, which they can't really ex- you know, explain. I know he, his theory on that, and I don't know what your take is on that. It's called like the Cuban underwater pyramid or whatever. I know, yeah, I know. His take was that, that those are leftover structures from like the Cuban Missile Crisis or the Cold War. Those were maybe structures that were just pushed into the water afterwards or something like that. Uh, but I know that they're so deep that nobody's even really been able to fully check them out.
1: Right. Two, they're about 2000 feet below sea level. And it's kind of hard to understand that in geological terms. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, it certainly sounds like that there's something down there. Right. And, uh, that, uh, but th- they pretty well dropped that subject. As far as mainstream archae- archaeology is concerned, there was a, an initial flurry of interest and National Geographic was involved and and so forth, and um, trying to remember the name of the woman who uh kind of led the led the charge on that but uh and and there are other examples i mean i mean look at indonesia and and the pacific and there's uh if you and we touch on all of these in the book, as you know right uh, and uh, if you look at any one of if there was just one of these, but there's a bunch of them. And um, they all have a story that conflicts with the the mainstream narrative.
0: Yeah, I think that the most interesting thing to me about all this stuff is if you look at, uh, you know, uh, after the end of The Last Ice Age and everything, you know, the water levels rising uh, after the Younger Dryas, you had all these land bridges, Sundaland, Doggerland. Uh, all these land bridges that connected, you know, different parts of uh, these continents together. Now, I don't understand why they aren't excavating those Wrong because, bridge. yeah, even if, even if you don't believe that there was some, you know, advanced thing or whatever, just the fact that you could probably find evidence of pre-human civilizations or a lot of other stuff that would be interesting, I think, to normal archaeologists. So that's why I never understood why they haven't done more underwater excavations on those sites.
1: Well, you know, I think that in the case of um, Rama's Bridge, which was that connection between uh, Sri Lanka and, and mainland India, uh, where uh, there, was, there has been quite a bit of study on, on that by some Indian archaeologists and um, um, uh, the movement or the vector of civilization, as we've called it. You know, it moves from the, from the east to the west. And I think, frankly, Atlantis itself is, Atlantis actually might be the story of what happened in Dwarka. I mean, it's, it actually is fairly, it's fairly close. Dwarka is a coastal city of India that was basically after the tsunami in, what was it, 2004? I believe that was the year, right? It, it, it suddenly exposed a lot of underwater structures. And, uh, uh, and these are hard to explain. I know I'm rambling on here. No, I mean there, there's no.
0: there's so many underwater anomalies and things that have been lost to time and um erosion and shifts and different, you know, uh things. It's just it, like I said, that that was awesome. my whole Yeah, that was my whole premise though is like you would think that there'd be more underwater excavating going on considering that um you know, some of the the If you look at like the way we think about history, like on land and the way we dig up things and, you know, dinosaurs and different things that you would find more of that happening, you know, underwater. But I don't know. That's where the
1: that's where the bodies are buried. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Are you a
2: scuba diver at all?
1: No. uh, Years ago, when I was a lot younger, I used to uh, used to do a little uh, not scuba, but I used to do a little snorkeling. But Mm. that's about as close as I got to that.
2: I've always been interested. I'd like to
0: try it. We'll send Maurice out there as a field <laughs> correspondent. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, we certainly, you know, our story that uh, was that I've mentioned in the book is the way we started all of this was uh, we had a we had a, an adventure that uh, what that we thought would be uh, make a good movie uh, that involved a lot of underwater uh, explanation, exploration for in the Bahamas. And uh, that leads to uh, the discovery of the ruins of Atlantis.
0: Well, that's and- the that's the archetype when you're a kid and you're watching cartoons or some show, right? It's this underwater-in-a-bubble civilization, and uh, sure. they, they send out these little, you know, boat things, and they can go up and down. And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting in that regard that that's how people have always thought of it, when you really read what Plato said, it's like so far from that. But how did it get to that point where we're talking about underwater bubble civilization? Well, this is
1: more of the Edgar Cayce kind of idea. But look, if you think about the underwater, the ocean as being a metaphor for the the uh, the unconscious, hmm. the universal unconscious, and that therefore, and this is, again, central to the theme of our book, is that we're basically all in this kind of uh, adventurous exploration, seeking for the secrets of our origins, the secrets of our birth, and we're 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 looking for it in the bottom of the ocean where it's been cast. I mentioned the story of the Titanic as being a good example of this kind of theme or this kind of idea, where you had a the product of an advanced civilization, you know, that runs afoul of the of the will of the gods and is basically cast down to the bottom of the ocean. And, uh, this is the, uh, and it's a kind of, um, uh, you can see this theme of the, uh, the, of a kind of a judgment day, uh, uh a rejection of the, um, uh, the arrogance of a civilization, just like in the days of Noah and just like in the Atlantean this is the theme that keeps coming up in all of these stories is that basically civilization uh, uh, lost its mind it basically uh, was resorting to a lot of uh, of, um, of evil or it was using the powers that it that it evolved in a, in a in for no good end and uh, Casey talked about that idea a lot and I think that uh, you have to and if if you combine reincarnation with all of these other things we're talking about, which I do very much, then that's where you start to see the connections between all of these things. you start to see how, okay those the people who were there in atlantis right they're us <laughs> and we're we're the reason we're affected by all of this is because we're 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 dealing with our own with our own history in in one way or another, and so we're sensitive to these things and and whatever it was that we went through that caused this amnesia is uh is become the stakes become very high and it becomes very personally uh important mm.
0: no i mean the, the message for sure it should resonate with people, and I think that again I don't know how you can look at human history with all its ups and downs. And I mean, we've really only been who we are for the last two, 300,000 years. So to not think that there's been cataclysms and, uh, you know, super volcanoes like Lake Toba and all these different events and, uh, possible asteroids and, um, comets and stuff. I mean, it's just foolish to think that that can't happen again, or that hasn't happened or, uh, whatever the case may be, so that was
1: what the priest said to Solon. You know, there have been all of these destructions of uh, uh, in in human history. Sometimes by fire, sometimes by water, uh, but uh, that's happened many times. And that the Greeks themselves were just children, uh, didn't appreciate the 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 ancient nature of the story of life on Earth. Hmm. And many, this many, many. Uh, uh, advances and falls.
0: What about this idea you were mentioning like it gets to this point where there's like an evil, but what about the idea that everything's just supposed to be in balance and that uh, maybe, I don't know if you consider or uh, ponder panpsychism, the idea that everything has some level of consciousness or that maybe the universe has some level of consciousness and that particles are potentially conscious. Uh, But this idea that maybe we get to the point where, you know, we do something and it's become this thing that we're out of whack or something and that needs to be reset. You know, is that something that you've ever pondered?
1: Well, yeah, I don't have any trouble with that. I mean, I I basically think that uh, uh, Sheldrake, uh, Rupert Sheldrake, uh, who is very much an advocate of panpsychism and so forth, but the idea of a conscious... Conscious universe. I don't see how that contradicts uh, the idea that there's a uh, there's an unfolding uh, design uh, that uh, can be comprehended in 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 human history, and that uh, it gives uh, and that this was something that you have uh, great prophets who. Understood that on a deeper level than most of us do, and who gave us a sense of what was to come, basically just as you know, observing the unfolding of natural processes. Right. I'm not trying to say I'm not I'm not trying to say I'm looking at the There's some of old man in the sky basically pulling strings, or, uh, and that uh, it's 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 natural law. Across the board, I I don't have, I I can see a, all that we're talking about in terms of natural law.
0: Yeah, and, um, I, and I guess to to that point, it's like um, I I mean I'm I'm right there with you. Like I think everything um, I don't really I like like reading mystical and mysticism and all these kind of things, but like when I look at like when we're talking about wise people or older prophets or things like this, I think of those as just people that had the knowledge of the things that we're talking about now and could predict things. It's like somebody, it's like, um, uh, Thales or who was it? Thales that predicted the full moon and people were like blown away by this. But it's like, if you have the tools and you, you can, you know, look at the natural world and like predict things like that, then you can start applying it to the bigger picture stuff. And then you become kind of like, uh, like what we're talking about. You can say, Oh, we got to be careful. This is a possibility. And then when it happens, it's like, Oh, this person knew, you know?
1: Yeah, I I think that, uh, you know, who was it? Arthur Clarke, who was saying that any sufficiently advanced uh, culture is indistinguishable from magic. And he was trying to make the point that, you know, as you as as we as we evolve, you know, we we unearth and discover things and we things that suddenly give us powers that were incomprehensible to even us at an earlier stage of the game, right. but now suddenly we find we can do these things, uh, and frankly, I would only say that I I think that process. We're still just looking at the surface of it. Mm. We're still just looking at a superficial aspect of it, and it's a lot deeper than that. And frankly, I think that there were, I, I think that the uh, there were great wives, teachers uh avatars if you will who achieved a level of understanding and mastery of all of this that we still don't understand it's beyond our capacity to understand because it awaits the day when we too can can uh, can pass the test that they passed Mm. and learn and and so we're all kind of like in a in the waiting pool at this at the shallow end of the pool Mm. And that the, you know, the, the the deeper stuff, the real action is going on at the deep end. And we're not, we're, we're, and at the shallow end, we, we, um, this, the consequences of our action are revealed to us very quickly, right. but they're not as, they're not as serious. And at the deeper end, carrying my metaphor a little further here, it, at the deeper end, it, it, the The consequences are, take are take longer to unfold, but they're more consequential.
2: Right.
0: It's interesting. Um, well, listen. Do you have time to do like a ten or fifteen minute uh, Patreon with us for our patrons?
1: Okay. Sure. Uh,
0: so let's wrap this up here. Uh, this was a pleasure. Uh, everybody, go check out Douglas's book. Uh, I have the link down below to Inner Traditions website uh, ghosts of Atlantis. Uh, I read it. It's highly recommended, especially if you've been listening to our show and you like all the, um, you know, the, the speculating and the theories and hypotheses regarding all these ancient civilizations and Atlantis and Plato and all that kind of stuff. So I highly recommend it again. The link is down below. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for, you know, sharing your time with us and, uh, sharing your thoughts and, uh, is there, do you have any, uh, final, uh, little words you want to add in here?
1: I can't think of anything that I haven't already said. All right.
0: <laughs> so sounds good. I think <laughs> you laid it all informational.
2: out there. I appreciate that. Uh,
0: I mean, w- well, listen again, it's been a pleasure. We'll have to get you back on the show sometime in the future. Cause I think that we could go a lot deeper with this as well. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much. And, uh, we appreciate everybody. And we appreciate everybody that partip- participated last night in our 200th episode, which was amazing. Thank you so much, everybody. And again, one more time, we're about to do a Patreon with uh, Douglas. So head on over to patreon.com slash mindescapepodcast for just $2 a month. You'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Uh, and there's a bunch of stuff up there. So just go check it out. And one more time, head on over to indrasweb.org. It is live. This is a social media platform that we created to connect open minds. So if you're not familiar with the analogy of Indra's net or Indra's web, go check it out. That's the whole point of this uh, platform is to connect people and uh, come up with good ideas. So head on over there and start an account. So thank you so much, Douglas. We love everybody. Stay safe out there and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.